The Ringer Gambling Feed is your one-stop shop for all things betting throughout the NFL season from week one all the way through Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. We have you covered every which way. We got our favorite futures. We got props. We'll discuss the lines. And of course, we'll throw in a few parlays. That's a given. So whether you're a sharp or a square better, we'll be breaking it down in terms hopefully everybody can understand and we'll try to win some money along the way. So be sure to subscribe to the Ringer Gambling Feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special. Sheila Kapadia joined by some special guests today. I love it. Chris Ryan, Raheem Palmer, of course, ace producer, Cliff Augustine. We're going to mix in some more Sixers talk. I thought later in the week we'll get to Sixers. And then I got a text from Cliff on Monday night. Like, do you want to do an emergency pod? And I'm on a delay because I'm recording Ringer NFL feed. So I go, I'm in the second quarter. Like, I, I don't know. He's like, keep watching. I kept watching. And uh, Joel MB dropped 70 on the San Antonio Spurs. So we thought, why even wait? Let's get to it. So we're going to talk Sixers. And then last segment, we'll do some Eagles. We'll do some Brian Johnson. Chris is going to stay on. He was already hitting me with some fiery Eagles takes before we started recording that we have to get to. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Raheem, what's going on? Life is good right now. I mean, you got Joel Embiid dropping 70. I mean, obviously, this we're conference champions week. It's a little disappointing that Neither of our teams are in it, but I mean, we got some good matchups, so I'm excited about them. Chris, you're, I mean, you got, you got six or 70, you got Eagles drama. This is like a, a nice time for you content wise, I feel. Yeah, this was, this was a nice, like kind of uh mood, mood stabilizer after the Eagles loss, you know, just to have the, the sort of whole building rocking for Embiid was really cool. Raheem, what do you think? So you're watching that game. Uh, and B just, what do you have, 24 in the first quarter. 
Uh, you know, he's, he's hitting mid-range over Wembenyama. Then poor Zach Collins comes in. and it's, I mean, I, you got to feel for that guy's just getting bullied left and right. And then they bring Embiid back in the fourth quarter. What stood out to you? I mean, Embiid just uh, 70 points in that game, averaging 36 a game here through the first, whatever, 32 games uh, he's played. I mean, what, what were your big takeaways from that performance? I mean, at this point, Joel Embiid is just pretty much unstoppable. It's just like we're at a point where, you know, when I saw Victor Wimbayama and, and 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 Pop come out before the game and they were kind of talking crazy. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be a big game for MB. And he just overpowered him. It was just like you knew that. Like Wimba is a teenager at this point. So it was just like whatever he wanted, he could get. And, you know, it was the 17th anniversary of Kobe Bryant dropping 81. And B could have had 81 last night. That's what stood yeah. out to me. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Yeah, if there's no Dan House on the Sixers, I, I think I think <laughs> 81 is definitely in play. I was kind of wondering whether or not uh, Popovich almost gave him reverse bulletin board material that still wound up being bulletin board material because before the game, as is kind of classic late period Coach Pop, which is maybe a little too candid, he was just like, they asked him what he was going to do to stop Embiid, and he was just like, I could give you a bullshit answer, but like nothing, you know, we <laughs> yeah. can't stop him. And then that kind of played out to be true. Yeah. And also, yeah, Wembenyama coming to town, you know, I'm sure Embiid was like, all right, a lot of people are going to be watching this game. I mean, he was just, uh, you know, 37 minutes, only shoots one three. What was weird to me was that like, it was not all all the time. In the fourth, he was obviously getting greedy. But for most of that game, it was like in the flow of the game. Like I wasn't like, this feels like one of those games where he's on fire, where he's throwing the ball in the ocean, everything's going in. Like there were some looks he had where I'm like, all right, on, on another night, like those are going in. It wasn't like he shot, you know, 70, 80% from the floor. It, it was what you were saying, Raheem. I mean, he just has so many tools at his disposal right now uh, from the elbow, from the free throw line. And then when it's a smaller guy, just getting inside, he had nine offensive rebounds in this game. That's a career high. Some of them were the Moses Malone type where he's, you know, he it's kind of like, you know, two offensive rebounds and he's fine, his own shot and he's finally uh, getting it there. But uh, it was an incredible performance and just like the hype of the crowd from the first quarter to then halftime. Oh, he's got 34 at halftime. And then that third quarter where he just looked like he came out and it was what you were saying, Raheem. He's like, when Benyama's a teenager, like I don't need, I don't even need, I can hit the <laughs> mid range, but I can just take him down uh, and get fouled every time to 21 for 23 from the line. So uh, I know we're always talking playoffs and is this year going to be different and all that, but I, I've always made the argument that you want your team to entertain you on a Monday in January. I, I usually throw a team like the Hornets or something under the bus. They're playing the Hornets, but it's the Spurs. Spurs on a Monday in January. And Raheem, that, that was uh, entertaining basketball. And this has been a pretty entertaining team for most of the season. Yeah, it, it definitely has. I mean, it started off from the beginning of the year where you've replaced Doc Rivers with Nick Nurse and and you get rid of James Harden and you bring in, you know, a bench, a, a real live bench. And one of the things you noticed right away was that they were running a lot more dribble handoffs and, you know, getting easier shots for Joel Embiid as opposed to just endless pick and rolls and, you know, just endless James Harden dribbling the air out of the basketball. So I think they're a, a, a fun team to watch. Now, I don't know if that's going to necessarily translate to the postseason, but it's clear that they do have a better head coach. Like, I like the fact that 
you know, Tobias Harris said something a, a couple weeks ago that anytime a team is going to call a timeout, we're changing our defensive coverage. He said he never played a boxing one before. So at any given point, we know that our coach is going to make adjustments. So it's definitely been a fun team to watch. Yeah. And, you know, you said something, Sheila, I think you used the word in the flow of the game. And that to me, it's like this was a really emblematic game for this season for the Sixers. It felt very stress free. It felt like we were watching a guy at the peak of his powers in Embiid, who was the focal point of the offense, but I don't think was gunning. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, towards yeah. the end, everybody is looking for him. But there wasn't like this feeling like Embiid's got to have his look at the top of the key, dribble, 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 and then everybody spreads out. And if he needs to, with a double, he kicks out. It was like, there's so much movement. There's so much like DHO with Maxi. It's so fun to watch. And it just felt like this, this 70 emerged out of that. It wasn't like, uh, frankly, it wasn't like Carl Towns. It wasn't like he was <laughs> shooting from five feet beyond the arc and like destroying the game. And then all of a sudden you lose to the Hornets and your coach is destroying your reputation. I mean, like this was just like, this was the natural conclusion of like a guy who's rolling right now. And it was just really cool that you, you, you saw in the town's result, like the, the bat, the way this can go bad, right? Like you, you saw how, you know, if you had lost to the Spurs, but he had had 70, that would have been embarrassing. And uh, so it was, it was really cool. I, I don't know if it was against the, the strongest competition you can face in the NBA right now, but it was, it was definitely neat. It was the perfect mix of the game is just competitive enough where like, all right, everybody's trying hard and you can justify keeping him in the game. But at the same time, the result really, <clears throat> excuse me, was never really in question there. The house stuff, something. If Nick Chris Chris is going to insist on playing Maxi 41 minutes in that game, he better bring <laughs> Joel and be back in. I'm going crazy with these 40 minute Maxi nights. And I was also, you mentioned the house stuff, Chris, like I will 10 years from now, when someone asked me about the uh, Joel Embiid 70 point game, I will remember the, the two possessions where Daniel house is like, this is my time. Like yeah. I, I, you're, you're not <laughs> and the crowd's booing in the reaction. I mean, sometimes you need the, the, those comedic moments uh, in the middle of those big games. I thought it was really cool that it happened in front of Brett Brown. You know, yeah, just yeah, uh, just like a yeah. kind of full circle moment, and it was like just seeing him and and Ferk talking with Brett after the game, and it's just like you know Brett's the end of Brett's time here didn't go great, but like you know when you think about like what he what he guided the Sixers through in the first few years of the process, there it was awesome to see. You know, you go back to the to the beginning of Embiid's career, there was just like it was a coin toss as to like whether or not this dude was his body was going to hold up. And whether or not, like, even if his body held up, would he, like, live up to all the potential and all the hype around, like, what he could be? And to see him probably exceeding that at this point, I mean, he's got the inside track on, on, on a back-to-back -back MVP run here. And this is probably, I would argue, like, among the two or three, if not the top best team he's ever played on. And it's just, it's just really awesome to see him kind of peaking at this point to some extent. Yeah, he, he really is peaking. You know, one of the things I read last night that was like stunning is that, you know, he's shooting like 60% on shots 15 to 19 free from the basket. And, you know, we talk about some of the great mid-range shooters in this league, Jordan, Kobe, Durant, Dirk. You kind of got to put him up there. Like as crazy as it sounds, I mean, guys like LaMarcus Aldridge, I mean, right now, 
and B from mid-range is just pretty much automatic. And we know he has the finesse. We know he has the, the Yora step. We know he's he's able to hit the three. We know he's able to just dominate inside and, and punish his way to the basket. But that's the thing that's just, you know, taking him to the next level. I was looking I was looking at a shot chart to be like, all right, is there what what's different this year than last year? Is anything different this year than last year? And it's funny, his like profile is almost identical. Same percentage of shots uh at the rim, same percentage of shots from mid-range, same percentage. It's literally the same percentage of threes he took last year. Uh he's taking this year. He's been a little bit better from three. I think he's shooting 37, 38%. It was 34% last year. And then this free throw shooting for a big man is like almost unprecedented, maybe unprecedented. I mean, he's shooting 89% from the free throw line. It is like a stunner when he goes up there and he doesn't make two free throws, 23 free throws uh, in that game. So a lot of the stuff is similar. And you're right, Rahim, I wanted to ask you this because uh, you've, I know, pointed out in the past teams that have this profile of a lot of mid-range, maybe not a lot of threes. Like I think they're 29th uh, in the NBA in percentage of shots that are three pointers. Like, is this a, and it's so funny for a Daryl Morey team to like, this is their, this is their shooting profile. Like what's going on here? Is this like a concern? Is it fine? Because this is your, your best player is so good from the mid range. Like, how do you view this in terms of long-term in terms of playoffs? Can you win this way or not? I'm always a big fan of like, you, you need the three. Like I, I look at a team like the sun, like that's, that's a team that's just so concerning for me. Now, when I look at the Sixers, they, I mean, them being 29th in, in three-point shooting, I mean, when you, when you go up against a team like the Celtics, that's scary. Because, yeah, you can score inside all you want, but if they're launching threes at like a top five rate, top 10 rate, you can't really overcome that. So that is a concern. Yeah, I guess... I understand where Raheem's coming from, and there's like there's definitely the potential when somebody's hot from behind the arc to get blown out of the building. Like there is that element here, but I find that this is like it, this feels sustainable to me. Is what it is. This is like we can we can hurt teams on offense from a bunch of different places on the court, and I don't think that opposing defenses have seen. I mean, obviously they've gotten some tape on the Sixers this season, but I'm excited to see them in the playoffs with the the movement off the ball that they've kind of employed this year. Cause this is the most I've ever seen a Sixers team cut a Sixers team have more than one or two actions. But what we were driving ourselves crazy last season where we were just like, there's option a there's option B. And if it's not there, it's just like, it's just, Oh, we're going to kick it out to the corner and hope Tobias makes a corner three. And there's so much more going on with this team now. And Maxi has like matured so much as an offensive player that I think that the, it's like for as much as we have to worry about maybe we're not uh a, we're not bombing away for the Sixers like other teams should worry about all the different looks we can throw at them offensively and frankly defensively because that's where Nurse really shines. Yeah, I I think Embiid like deserves credit for and again, like if you're listening to this going give me a break. Yeah, there are there is a segment of the fan base and I've been there where like I don't care call me in uh April, call me in May, are they out of the second round or are they not cuz I'm tired of celebrating these minor victories during the regular season. I get that at the same time, uh MB does deserve credit for changing how he's played and and improving his game. Like he 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 was the MVP last year and he's gotten better. There's no doubt about it. He didn't just he, he's not the same guy as last year. He's averaging a career high 
in assists. And to the efficiency question, I, I do have the same concerns as Raheem in like a you know seven game playoff series. But man, he has been so efficient. I was looking this up earlier today. So since the merger, four seasons where guys averaged over 35 points per game. It, it was MJ twice, it was James Harden, and it was Kobe. MB right now is 36.1. Only one of those did the guy shoot over 50%, and that was Michael Jordan in 1987-88. Only season since the merger where a guy has averaged over 35 and shot over 50% from the floor. Joel Embiid is shooting 54% from the floor. So it's so weird. I mean, do you feel like it? Is it like, I feel like Sixers fans have been in this weird spot and, and I've been there too. Like, should this be appreciated more? We're like, we're legitimately watching one of the best scoring seasons of our lifetime. It doesn't totally feel like that, whether if you're measuring it by your group threads or your, you know, your conversations with friends or even just like the buzz uh, around the city or, or in the Eagles, uh, in the Phillies, uh, slip there, uh, in the Philly sports <laughs> conversation. It doesn't totally feel like that, Raheem. Like, is this, you're, you're, you're good about putting these things sort of uh, into context. What do you think? So I'm not going to lie to you. Game six and game seven broke me. I agree. I think a lot of people feel like that. Yeah. It gave me a, a sense of apathy that I just, like, I, I've been struggling to overcome. But then when you watch a game last night and you realize what Joel Embiid is doing, or you watch the game against the Nuggets, it's just like he's delivering every single time he steps on the floor. And one of my beefs was with this era, particularly when it was Ben and Embiid and it Dot coaching or Brett Brown coaching, it felt like on any given night that the team just wouldn't show up. And I can't say that about this team. And, you know, I saw an interesting stat last night. Joel Embiid is averaging 50.6 points per 48 minutes this season. And this is from Mike Lynch on Sports Info 247. That puts him to be the first player in NBA history to average over 50 points per 48 minutes. And to put that in context, Will averaged 49.8 per 48 minutes in his 50 points per game season. And he averaged over 48 minutes per game. So what Joe and B is doing can't be understated. And as much as I'm like, I need to see it in the, in the playoffs, as much as I'm broken from game six and game seven, I got to give credit where it's due and I got to appreciate it in the moment. Yeah, I think that I, I share some of Raheem's uh, scar tissue from playoffs past, but there was a conversation happening online last night that was like, is, is he the greatest sixer ever? You know, and I, I do feel like for me personally, like it's, I'm never going to get Iverson out of my head and I'm never going to get Barkley out of my head. And, and even though like I was a little young, like Doc is, Doc and Moses are still in that mix. But statistically, over the course of his career, I think it's it's getting to the point where this isn't really an argument, right? I mean, if you were if you were just talking about like raw numbers, not like playoff success, not titles won, not iconic moments, you know, like this this guy is doing something, and and we we do take it for granted. Max, he talked about this in his post game out last night while he was still on the court, where he's just like, or I think in the locker room, and he was just like, you know, as teammates, as the media, as this, like we cannot we cannot take this for granted. We live in a time of unicorns where it's kind of ordinary to see seven footers dribbling and around the perimeter and making like no look passes, right? Like we, if you, if you took any of us back to our childhood and showed us tape 
of Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid, and we're like, this is what the basketball in 2024 is going to look like, we would be like, that's not basketball. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we were used to like, you know, like little guards and big men who can't dribble, and that's how basketball works. So it's pretty wild to like kind of take a step back and, and understand not only what's happening with Embiid, but with the sport, you know? Um, but I, I think that he is in this weird, you know, last season there was like, kind of this blowback from like, you know, is he campaigning? Is he not stat padding, but is like, you know, is this, is, is winning the MVP more important than like the team success? And it seemed like, you know, Harden was almost like his running mate and his whole job was to like set and beat up for, for this kind of success. And this season, it just seems like so effortlessly brilliant that to me, it's almost more impressive and maybe he won't win MVP this season, but I, uh, but I think he should, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm at the point where like I, I the when I see the MVP discourse, I'm like, that's the part of it where I'm like, I, I can't even I, I do think he would he deserves it. And well, what do you think about the place. best sixer ever? Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is non wilt uh, category, uh, I assume. But Raheem, I saw those stats, too, because every stat I see with Embiid, you know, it's like, well, Wilt did this eight times. It's like, you know, it's like, it's just, <laughs> the, the graphics, it's like, let's 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 not forget about, uh, you know, the, the, the pride of Overbrook there. I think without the playoffs, except like it, it's hard, it's impossible to separate. If you're saying like just individual, you're stacking seasons together, regular seasons together, it's it, it probably is going to be Embiid for our lifetimes of like who's had the best stretch. I mean, Iverson didn't have a long career. We never expected Embiid to be health. Like I know he's missed games this year, but we never expected, at least I never did, this stretch of him being healthy and improving and not every season getting sidelined uh, by an injury. I mean, this will be three straight seasons with over 30 points. This is potential back-to-back MVPs. However, whenever we have that conversation, you know, the old, the old soul in me is going to go, give me a break. Like I watched Iverson in 2001, put the team on his back uh, and get to the final stock got his ring. Moses came in uh, and got them the ring. Barkley, you know, is a, is a different conversation. He eventually got there with the other team when they didn't give him pieces to work with. Now, I was thinking this. So I, I was thinking, like, I, I just did uh, an NFL show last night, and I was making the case that, like, settle down with the Josh Allen discourse in Buffalo. I'm like, the great ones, eventually their time comes, and you have to go through it. Peyton Manning played eight seasons before he got to a Super Bowl. And I was like workshopping this morning, whether there's like a Joel Embiid, Lamar Jackson comp, whether there's a Joel Embiid, Josh Allen comp. Like usually when a guy plays at this level for an extended period of time, there comes that one season where the ball bounces his way, where he's healthy in the playoffs, where he gets a good draw, where he gets a good, you know, you get a good call in a game seven, you get a good bounce in a Like that usually, it doesn't mean it's going to happen three, four, five times. Usually there is at least one season. Like if, if Joel Embiid has like this type of season, let's say two more years and to not play in an NBA finals, that's almost unprecedented, right? Yeah. To like play at this level where you would pocket potentially two MVPs, uh, a couple other good seasons and to not get there. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I was just wondering, like you just keep going. And like one of the years, He's gonna turn. He should be able to turn in a great playoff performance, and you should be in the NBA Finals. It doesn't mean you're gonna win it. Great players don't always win rings. Uh, we know that, but like you should be able to get past the freaking second round of the playoffs when you have a star like this and a team like this. And by the way, now they have a coach like this 
who it looks like is giving uh, them an edge. So uh, I don't know. Am, am I nuts? Is there anything? What, what do you think of like those those, uh, those comps? Yeah, I think that this kind of goes into like, I mean, we don't have to do it right now, but it goes into like, should Daryl make a trade conversation that's been happening around the team right now? And I think that there is a faction of Sixers fans that's like, I'd rather not. I'd rather see. I'm kind of like this- that, honestly. I, unless right. I see one out there that I love and I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this because you follow the rest of the league more than I do. But as someone who is mostly watching the Sixers other than like a TNT game, I'm kind of like, I like this experience right now. They're what, 26 and 6? When Embiid is in the lineup, like they're not squeaking by. They've beaten Minnesota. They've beaten Denver. They've beaten Boston this season. Like I know they've had a softer schedule, but they've competed with these great teams. I'm kind of in that spot where like, Maybe don't mess it up and just see what it looks like uh, in the playoffs, Chris. So sorry yeah, not, and not I, to interrupt you, but no, not at all. And I think that actually, you know, like in years past, maybe we've had higher expectations, or there's been, you know, we've we've had larger profile uh, supporting cast for him, whether it's been Harden or 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 Jimmy or even Ben when he was here. And I think that um, we've been the team that goes into to the postseason with all this, like, kind of like psychic baggage like all this baggage going into like what are they going to do are they going to finally get over the hump and this season i honestly feel like the bucks are carrying more of that i feel like in a weird way the celtics who have kind of come up come up short a couple of seasons in a row and i i feel like the sixers are kind of playing with with house money a little bit it's like nobody really expected much from this version of this team they all thought that there would be a step back by losing harden maxi has made this huge leap and beads playing above the level that won him the mvp the role players are all playing well. Oubre is having a career year. Like Toby has kind of had a renaissance. Like we have like all these different looks we can throw at teams. Yes, it would be cool to have like a maybe a backup point guard that was a little bit more three dimensional than Pat Bev and and obviously Nick's like Nick is going to play guys big minutes and Maxie's young and should be able to handle it. But it does feel like this is a little early in the season for Maxie to routinely be playing more than forty minutes. And I think if we had a solid backup point guard option that might might be good. But for me, this team is going into the postseason, at least now, if it started tomorrow, it would be like the best shape they've been in, even if it wasn't the best talent team. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Um, obviously, I mean, you would love to have a guy like Tyus Jones, a guy like who could just, you know, handle the second unit and and handle the rock and, and create plays for other coming off the bench. But I think the more important thing is that the Sixers have 103 million in expiring contracts. And you look at the books at the end of the year, you only got MB, you only got Max, you got Paul Reed and Jaden Springer on the books after this year. And that gives you the flexibility going forward to figure out, like, I think I'd rather watch this team in the postseason, see what they need and then make moves over the summer. And I like having that flexibility. I mean, you can make a deal right now for DeMar DeRozan, but really, how much does DeMar DeRozan really move the needle? How much does Zach Levine move the needle? I mean, you could throw off the entire chemistry of this team. And if you make a de- if you make a bad deal, you're stuck with it. So I'd rather keep this team together and then have the flexibility for the summer. Yeah, it does. Not, not to keep going back to 2001, but there is a little bit of me like, all right, you got the superstar. You got the MVP, like the role players know their roles on this team. Except, you know, except for, you know, D house wants to get his a couple times. That's okay. But overall he's, you know, I think of the chemistry. Yeah. Uh, and you know what though? Shield is Oh, one is a really good example of what you're talking about with Josh Allen. We're Oh, one, like a couple of things broke the Sixers way. 
like Vin- Vince yeah. Carter decided to get his diploma. You know, it's exactly. like, <laughs> little things happen. And, and like, you know, you, we haven't had that kind of quote luck, which would for the other team be bad luck. But like, I don't know. I've, been, I've lived through plenty of playoffs where going into the postseason, you're like, the Thunder have it this season, or the Spurs have it this season, and then Tony Parker blows out a hamstring, or Serge Ibaka gets hurt, or something happens, and it kind of tips wide open. So yeah, like you could say, oh, this is inevitable, Boston's going to go, and if it's not Boston, it's Milwaukee. But different things can happen over the second half of the season. People can get irritated. That Milwaukee team is like, from, from, my, like, from, from my vantage point, like, is always a, a bad press conference away from guys storming out of practice or whatever the hell it's going on. And yeah, Boston is Boston, but like there's a couple of injury guys on Boston that you never know if they might just be going into the, the postseason relying on Horford or something if Porzingis gets hurt. So let's like, I don't know, let's keep it rolling. That's my attitude. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm with you guys. I'm kind of like, let's just chill. Everyone knows their roles. You're winning at a very high percentage. They're 29. And th- I mean, they're on pace for what? 59 or 60 wins right now? And Embiid's and played 32 games. Like you've wet, they've had other guys injured. I mean, they had what? They had a bunch of guys that did, couldn't weren't available last night. Melton uh, has been out. So like they've had things where it's like, we don't even know exactly for an extended period of time what this looks like with everyone healthy. Now it's uh we're still dealing with half a season in the NBA. So we need to see it over an extended period of time, but I kind of agree. You know, there was so much talk. I remember we did uh, a podcast when they traded James Harden. It was like, this trade is about what are the next moves going to be? They're, they're freeing themselves up. They're acquiring assets. It's not about what they got back. It's about what the next move is going to be. And I remember at that time we're going, all right, after January, they're able to do it. What are they going to do? And now I'm kind of like, maybe just chill a little bit. Like, I, I don't know. I kind of just want to watch them. Uh, the way Nico, who knew Nico Batum would be such a, such a pleasure to watch on a, on a nightly basis uh, as a Sixers fan. So we'll see what they end up doing. And Nick nurse. I mean, like, I don't know if Nick nurse is the guy for an eight year run, but man, right now he just feels like a breath of fresh air. He was I mean, exactly, he was exactly the exactly, right hirings after Doc. at the right time. Yes, yeah. Right coach at the right time for this team. Raheem, you, you what's you 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 were you were big on Nick Nurse, I think, when we were discussing coaching candidates, right? Or am I? Do I have that wrong? Yeah, I mean, I'm always big on Nick Nurse. I mean, I, okay, I I want some money on that Toronto team that won a championship, so um, <laughs> I'm a big Nick Nurse guy. That is so criminal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> he he could suck the rest of the year, and he still holds a special place in your heart. Like, yeah, so it's all good. That that was probably like the the. That was the series that changed my, like, it literally changed the course of my life. My friends give me a hard time because I had Dak in fantasy this season. <laughs> but I don't know if I could, I could hang out with Reem if he was betting the Raptors. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, here's no, the th- thing. I'm a big Kyle Lowry guy. So, I mean, Kyle Lowry's from Philly. Okay. So you got to give me the pass there. Yeah, there you go, go. go Cardinal Doherty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pass there. Uh, yeah, lowest turnover rate in the NBA. Your 76ers. I mean, who would have thought that uh, coming into the season? Highest free throw rate. It's just like everything goes through uh, Embiid, but Maxi can carry them at times. Maxi can close games uh, for them. And uh, I was looking this up on Cleaning the Glass. Maxi, Melton, uh, Tobias Harris, Batum, and Embiid. Best lineup in the NBA among those who have had 200 possessions this season, which is, you know, a smaller sample than a uh, hundred possessions could be some noise, obviously level of competition, but I thought that was at least uh, a little bit interesting 
there. All right, Raheem, any closing thoughts from you before uh, I get Chris Ryan to go off on the Eagles drama? Um, I, I just think I, I, I'm, I'm appreciating the season. I'm learning to appreciate it. Um, you know, my biggest thing is that I, I, like, I, I do have that apathy. And, but I mean, when you see performances like last night, when you see performances like the Nuggets, I, I just have to appreciate it. And I think Daryl Morey has set us up. And, you know, I was speaking to one of my gambling friends the other day, and he said, if you had to make the title odds for next season, the Sixers have to be the favorite because of wow. all of the moves that Daryl Morey made, because of all the flexibility that they have with the cap, because of the way Joel Embiid is playing, because of the way that Maxi has made the leap. And I look at it like this. This year is going to be the first year where Maxi is the the lead guard. So you kind of got to extend them some grace this year. This is going to be the, I mean, the previous couple of years, he's had James Harden and you see him playing 41 minutes a game right now, but this is going to be the first year in the playoffs where he's going to be the lead guard, the first guard on the scouting report. So you kind of got to extend them some grace this year, but next year it's like, he's probably going to be used to it. And I know more is going to make some moves all for the off season. So, I think we're in good position. It's a live in the moment type season. It's hard to do with what we've seen in the playoffs from this team over the Embiid era, or just like, and, and where we were at the end of last season, coming on here, just ripping them rightfully. So when you end a season like that, everybody deserves to get crushed, but it has kind of turned into a, let's just tonight watch the Sixers and see how they make me feel. And that's been pretty good for most of the season. And so we'll see how it goes here the rest of the way. All right. Thank you to Raheem. You can check him out on the Ringer Gambling Show. Raheem, what else we got? Raheem, are we doing that? I was thinking about this. Are you doing the Raheem 100 uh, for the uh, NBA play? Has that been discussed yet? Because I loved that last year where you were doing 100 I think, I think we are. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping right, we're good. doing it. Yeah, okay. I, think, I think we are doing it. Um, that was so awesome. We'll see what happens. I, I had a winning year last year. I was like 58%. So yeah. hopefully I can keep that going. Um, But I'm excited for the this. I'm excited for the, the conference championships. Like I'm, I'm excited for football right now. Like I'm still in football mode. I'm not totally like go. I'm in basketball mode, but football right yeah. now is like, and I cashed that ticket on the Kansas city. Chiefs the other day, so. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was everything. I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't think Josh is ever going to get one. Really? You don't. Okay. So you didn't like that MB Josh Allen comparison. No, I, I think Embiid is on a tier higher than Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen is in that Phillip rivers tier. Yeah, maybe Josh mm. is uh, the next Rams quarterback to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, a couple, I, I, couple I, I, seasons. And you look, you look at all the cap space problems with Buffalo. I just, I don't think he's getting. I mean, like Diggs is getting older. I think the next couple years, it might get spooky for them. Maybe we'll we'll see. I'm on the other end of that. We'll discuss that at a later time. <laughs> Check Raheem out on the Ringer. Wise guys, check him out on the Ringer Gambling Show. Always doing awesome stuff. Raheem, thanks for hopping on. We'll take a break here, and then I got to get uh, CRs, Eagles takes. I can't wait for this. If you've been watching the NFL playoffs from the sidelines, there's still time to get in the game with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers bet this Sunday's conference championship games with $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. FanDuel has so many ways for you to pick up a W. I'm looking at that Chiefs-Ravens game. If it stays at three and a half, I think 
think I like Kansas City if it gets down to three. Maybe the Ravens. So keep an eye on that line. I got to do a little bit more research. I'll be honest with you. But uh, you don't have to follow my picks. You can have your own. Go to FanDuel right now. Get started with $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly. That's FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, we're back on the Ringers Philly special. Another day, another coach, assistant coach getting fired. No, no big deal. Just a totally normal organization. Brian Johnson, Eagles offensive coordinator per various reports, fired. Uh, Chris Ryan is still here. I was very excited before the pod when you're like, hey, I'll stay on if you want for the Eagles segment. And I'm like, yes, thank you. I have nothing <laughs> new to say about this team. So just, I, you can start wherever you want. I know you're, you're feeling different things about this team, what's going on this offseason, the coverage, all of it. Where do we begin? What do you got? Okay, so I guess let's do Brian Johnson first. I would assume that if he was not up for the Panthers job and hadn't been interviewing for a couple of places, that that's probably a a, a firing that happens a little bit earlier, right? Like maybe it happens around when, when it's announced that Desai and Patricia aren't going to be coming back because you don't want to let, let a guy go when he's up for another job and you also get the draft compensation if he gets hired away, right. et cetera, et cetera. So... Be that as it may, I'm having a hard time figuring out how I feel about this, this post-mortem period for the Eagles season. It seems as though, I mean, unless something really crazy happened, Nick's back, right? So Nick and Howie are still going to do their, 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 their press conference, uh, I think on Thursday. Was that when they said it Wednesday. was going to happen? Yeah, I think Wednesday. tomorrow, yeah. So this, this, all of this could be answered tomorrow. But, you know, I just feel like there's a lot of question marks and there's a lot of confusion around who's calling the shots here. And maybe that's always been the question with the Eagles when you have such a, a powerful and present front office and in, in, the, in the figure of Howie Roseman. But like, I, I, am, I am very interested to see how the press conference goes and to see what the vibe is between these guys. Because in the absence of kind of, hey, we're all going to step out in front of the cameras a couple of days after this and answer questions that might be hard and, and talk about where we're going going forward... There's been this vacuum and into the vacuum, I feel like different parties are getting blamed. And uh, I've seen yeah. a, a fair amount of Jalen coverage that's that's getting a little bit negative. And they're kind of leaving him out to dry. And it's starting to remind me a little bit of Carson Wentz. It's starting to Ooh. remind me of the little a little <laughs> bit of the way that the quarterback takes the blame 
for institutional disarray. Does that make any sense? Uh, absolutely. I mean, every decision with this organization is Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, and they've been a successful organization. I mean, even this is a year where it was a down year and they were in 11, 11 and six and in the playoffs, they were not like a complete, uh, train wreck. So I, I think your read on that is right with Brian Johnson. I think your read there is right as well. You don't fire a guy when he's up for head coaching jobs. And you mentioned just them selfishly want the draft pick uh, compensation there. So uh, I've said this before. It's kind of like what we said about the six after the way the last Sixers season ended, anything was in play. You could rip, yeah. blame anybody. It was that bad. That's kind of how the end of this Eagle season was. Like, like sir, anybody, you could say this guy should be fired. This guy should be benched. This guy should be traded. And you probably could make uh, a case for that. So with Brian Johnson, like the play calling certainly uh, was not great, left something to be desired. My bigger concern was with the offensive scheme and the design. So like, what does that mean? That means like the menu he was choosing. I don't think it was a good menu he was choosing yeah. from. I think sometimes he chose the wrong food to eat as well, but I don't think they were great dishes uh, on that menu anyway. And so um, I think, you know, that that's fine to move on from him, but it leaves me with this question, Chris, which is like, Nick Sirianni is an offensive head coach. And if he's like, like you have to, NFL people are always like, you got to coach your coaches. Like that's part of the head coach's job is like, Who's struggling? Who's not up for this? Who needs my hand? And if it's on defense, all right, that's a little harder. I don't expect Sirianni to intervene there. If it's offense, it's like, dude, you've been in the league as an offensive coach. If you can't come up with answers to help this guy, then what exactly are you doing here? And so now you're going to go into 2024 with a new offensive play caller, a new defensive play caller, potentially a new center if Jason Kelsey, you know, continues to, uh, well, he can rip his shirt off and pound 20 beers and it's okay. He doesn't need to retire. But if he does retire, you're going to have Jalen Hurts. I was thinking about this. Fifth new play caller in four seasons. Remember, he started with Sirianni. Then they go Sirianni to Steichen. Then they go Steichen uh, to Brian Johnson. And now it will be a new one. So I guess that's four, right? All right that's fourth. also going back to college. He went from right. That was the multiple, big thing. He had like a different every guy year. every year at Alabama. And then he went to Oklahoma. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to be. So it's like you add all this up. Is this a recipe for success for an organization that was just in the Super Bowl uh, last year? So I think Brian Johnson firing him is totally fine. I want to see how they replace him. And to, to answer your question, um, like we know it's not just going to be Nick Sirianni hiring coaches. First of all, that's not how they operate. There will be strong, strong recommendations from Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. And two, Sirianni hasn't shown he's up to the job to identify like smart, talented coaches. So that that's like, I, there is a lot of disarray here. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. I don't think that we've seen Nick evolve into the kind of like McVeigh Shanahan kind of, you know, he has a tree. I mean, obviously Shane was with him uh, there are guys who have been in and around the Eagles who have gone on to success in the last couple of years, but it doesn't have that kind of like to your point about the the menu that Brian Johnson was using to call plays. That's not a successful, super successful restaurant yet. The way that no. the McVeigh and Shanty stuff has been franchised out. It's like you've got, you know, Zach Taylor. You've got all these people who have gone on to have great success with Nick. I'm really curious to see whether or not. This winds up being Jim Bob Cooter coming back from Indianapolis, where it's like he's got Steichen, Sirianni roots. Or is it somebody who seems a little bit more like the kind of guy who's kind of been looking over Nick's shoulder or taking away a little bit of that, that 
menu design from Nick and whether, I mean, I don't even know who that would be, Frank Reich, something like right. somebody who has like maybe a little bit more experience rather than somebody who's like, this is my first job calling plays and I'm happy to be here. And I was thinking the same thing on the defensive side of the ball. You know, I was this, this Ron Rivera chatter that's going on. I, I, you know, there's rumors about Fangio coming back or something like that. A lot of head coaches, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of ex head coaches in the mix. That doesn't scream, we're super confident that Nick's got this all under control to me. It's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like, it would be pretty cool if, like, if Bill Belichick wants to come coach our defense. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. But I would also be pretty nervous if I was Nick Sirianni. I wouldn't be getting any new furniture in my office if that happened. Uh, I totally agree. And I think Nick Sirianni knows the history of this organization. And I've done reporting on this that in 2017... Jim Schwartz was in the building, and if things were going to go badly with Doug Peterson, they had a guy there who they felt like could take over the team and lead them. And so you're absolutely right to like let's keep an eye on that who they hire offensively and defensively, and is it that type of guy? I mean, offensively, like they don't need just a little nudge, in my opinion. Like they really need to kind of break down this offense and build a new offense. In my opinion, it was outdated. It was simple. It was vanilla and they have really good players. And so like, you should be able to get more out of this group, uh, than they did. So are they willing to think like go totally outside the box? Now there's always issues with that because how's that person going to mesh with Sirianni? And to your point is if the offense gets turned around, is that person getting all the credit? Does Sirianni care about that at this stage in his career? So like, there are all these factors that are in play, which is why I just felt like it was. It, the easiest route might have just been to get rid of Nick Sirianni this year and just make a clean break and say, you know what, we had a great three-year run. This doesn't happen often where a guy gets to the playoffs three years in a row uh, and is fired. But at the end of the season, we learned that he's not a great schemer. He can't hire a great staff. And the culture leadership stuff, to your point about you know some of the conversations that are you know being leaked or being had about Jalen Hurts, that doesn't seem great either. By the way, how is the, how is the relationship between Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni? I mean, Hertz did not yeah. go to bat for Nick Sirianni at the end of the season. So I'm like adding all these factors up and I'm trying to come up with a scenario where it's like all these decisions work out and they're back contending for a Super Bowl next year. And I'm not saying it's impossible. They have good players on offense. Again, we've seen that, but it doesn't seem to me like it would be the most likely path. So I thought your Hertz Wentz thing. I now, now that's interesting because when they signed Jalen Hertz to the extension, we actually had listeners to this podcast post that same question. Why are we sure this is going to be totally different. Like he had one great season last year. What if it doesn't work out? Are they going to regret this? I think the coaching staff failed Jalen Hurts uh, this this last year at the same time. I think there are quarterbacks in the NFL who have zoomed past Jalen Hurts if we're talking about uh, quarterback rankings uh, right now. And so now you're seeing like some of the, I know Jeff McClain had a report uh, in the inquiry that there's there's some internal concern that he wasn't more of a leader and like all the stuff that kind of he was praised about last year when the team loses. It's different. And to a degree, that's like, I do think that's kind of like part of it's fair. Like if you have a great leader at quarterback, it shouldn't fall apart to the degree uh, that it fell apart last season. But the messaging, the blame, all that, uh, that's always so intriguing with this football team. Yeah. You know, I have so much, I, I do so much reading about the Eagles. It, it's uh, kind of like the silver linings playbook joke. Like, <laughs> what could we do? We could read about the Eagles and talk about the Eagles and think about the Eagles. <laughs> so I don't know how, you know, if you're reading like the fifth piece of the week 
from the beat writer of the Chargers? Is there Justin Herbert stuff that you'd be like, oh, wow, that's that's alarming. But look, man, like Jalen Hurts openly being like, I checked out of the call at the end of the Seattle game because me and AJ wanted to go for the glory. Like that's that to me is like him not trusting Nick and him not trusting Brian Johnson, who was brought in because he had a pre-existing relationship with Nick Jalen Hurts. So I get concerned about the fact that, you know, we have moved on from, hey, the defensive coordinator was demoted slash fired in the middle of the season. And a guy who has not a ton of like fans in this league had, was installed and then the team collapsed. That's the, that's the headline. That's the takeaway. That's the thing that we should be doing postmortems about. And there hasn't really been a lot of stuff about that. It's been more about Jalen Hurts changed after he got paid. Jalen Hurts is not the most demonstrative leader. Jalen Hurts was changing plays. He was checking out of stuff that Brian Johnson was calling and doing stuff that just didn't make any sense. And then after the season, he was like, me and Nick and Brian will fix this. And when they asked about Sirianni's job security, he was like, I didn't know that he had, like, his job security was an issue. It wasn't, it, it was kind of reaching kind of like, I think Jalen has a certain stoicism that's really cool when he's winning. And when he's losing, it seems aloof. And, you know, it's the same thing with Carson. Carson was a cowboy. And when he was winning, he was like, is this guy like, he's just a, <laughs> Let's He's go hunting. This guy just the likes to hunt there, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then as soon as they're losing, it's like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> Nobody talks to this guy. He yeah. hasn't had a conversation with a teammate in six years. <laughs> so it can turn really fast. It can turn really fast. And uh, I, I, st I still believe in, in Jalen. I think he's, he's really great. I, I, I also think that he's got a little bit of like, the stuff about flying private plane to Seattle, you know, so as not to infect everybody, but then playing and playing through multiple injuries. I mean, like in, in reality, like he played pretty well. Like, you know, he didn't play terribly against Tampa. I guess he threw some picks, but he was probably pressing it. It was like, you know, the guy's finger was dislocated. Would yeah. we have been better with Mariota? I don't think so. So no. like, I guess you just have to try at the end of the season like that. But I, I, I just think that, We've gone from this guy is the franchise centerpiece and is going to be here for 15 years and is going to provide that kind of Mahomes, Allen kind of uh, platform, Lamar platform that we can build from to it's all real shaky right now. And I think a lot of this is going to be determined by who gets brought in as OC and what, what they decide to do and also what kind of program they put Jalen on. Like, is Jalen going to be brought back from the Hey, if you don't like what you see out there, you can check out of it. Is it going to be like, dude, no, like listen into your speaker and call the play we call and here's your progression. Yeah. I mean, the reports where AJ Brown said like in his address to the team was like, we need to listen and trust the coaches more. Like, whoa. All right. My ears are perking up when I hear that. Uh, I'm with you. I think Hertz is more like mentally tough and confident and self-assured than Carson Wentz. Now we didn't necessarily that but your your point about like sort of what the reporting has been is very interesting to me because you're right like Jalen Hurts regressed this year I, I will say that I think he went maybe from like a top five quarterback to maybe I don't know I, I don't have rankings on in front of me but maybe like 10 to 12 he did not go from like five to like 25th I mean when Wentz had that 2020 he was literally one of the yeah. five worst starters in the NFL so it's different however we're hearing more about that. And you're right about, I mean, we still don't know the mechanics of why at that point in time, when you hit a little adversity, did you go from Sean Desai to Matt Patricia? Was that 
Nick Sirianni's call? Was that Howie Roseman's call? I know Jeff McLean has reported that Matt Patricia, like Howie Roseman, is the person who kind of organized, you know, introduced the idea of Matt Patricia coming to the organization. Was he, were he and Jeffrey Lurie the ones who said, hey, uh, let's make a change here on defense? Because you're right. I mean, the defense, I didn't like the offense. The offense bothered and frustrated me. The offense absolutely performed at a much better level. I mean, the offense was still like top 10 by any statistical measure. The defense was one of the five worst units in the NFL. And it's not totally clear what happened there. The coaching who brought in Desai, why'd you go from Desai to Patricia? Who's pushing the buttons? Why was that the right time? All that. And so got Darius uh, Slade talking about having two wives, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I mean, that was, (laughs) be careful, dude, be careful, Slay. Uh, Yeah. You know, this is on, this is on the record here, but I think what's going to happen during this press conference. And I said this earlier this week, I feel like you, you, you enjoy this kind of stuff uh, the way that I do. I think the Eagles are going to spin this as announced that Nick Sirianni was coming back. What are you talking about? Why would we need to do that? The guy took us to a Super Bowl last year. He's been in the playoffs for three straight seasons. You don't announce that, you know, Mike Tomlin is coming back. The Ravens aren't going to announce that John Harbaugh is coming back if this uh, postseason ends. And I think they're going to spin it. I think I, I, I feel so confident, like if FanDuel had something where I could put a little lettuce on this, I would, you know, text Raheem and see what he thought about it uh, and then bet on this because I feel so sure that this is going to be the messaging of the press conference. And I think it's complete nonsense. Like having covered... Jeffrey Lurie and had conversations with Jeffrey Lurie. I just feel not recently, but just I'm saying in my past as a uh, full-time reporter, I just feel so strongly that he will have looked at this like analytically and been like, I need to at least have some, I'm at least thinking about making a change here because man, that was a complete disaster at the end of the season. So everyone look for that on Wednesday. When you see the clips, when you see the tweets on social media about what they're saying, do not believe them. And let's see if that's what the messaging is going to be. You you don't have to be uh, an Inquirer subscriber or a listener to the Philly special. All you have to do is watch the Eagles. They didn't lose. They quit. And yeah. and I'm not even getting into like calling in IP and screaming about these guys are a disgrace <laughs> or anything like that. Watch the Giants game. Watch the Bucks game. They were not hard. They were not trying to tackle. Those guys were trying not to get hurt at the end of a season where they probably thought I am not coming back here. And that was a real one, two, three Cancun end of the season. Yeah. We got through this gauntlet of really hard games, played pretty admirably against the Niners, you know, like all that stuff, like not against the Niners, but we got through that gauntlet of games pretty well yeah. and then fell apart at the cupcake part of the season when we should have been racking up wins and winning the division and getting home field and all those things that good teams do. And by the end of the season, like was just obviously a team that had quit on each other and on their coaches. And that's the reason why Nick's job was not safe. If it was just a team that lost surprisingly in the first round of the playoffs, hell, that happened to Andy Reid a bunch. Like that's happened to people all the time. Sometimes you just have a weird first divisional game or whatever it is. That team quit. And it's going to take a lot for me to believe that like they didn't quit on Nick. Cause like, you would still, you would still try. You know what I mean? If you were just like, well, this guy's gonna be the coach for the next five, ten years. So like, if I'm gonna be an eagle, I'm gonna be playing with this guy. It felt like there was just something was up there. So they're not gonna address that. But the nature of those defeats and the 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 sort of effort that people saw, especially on the defensive side of the ball, at the end of the season, 
does not speak to like, a, oh, you know, things just broke the wrong way and Jalen wasn't 100% and yada, yada. That was chaos. And so that, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to address that. But that's why any of us were like, are we sure this guy's coming back next season? You right. know, and especially when you've got kind of the Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, and Mike Vrabel are available. Like, yeah. I'm not saying I want any of those guys to coach the Eagles necessarily, <laughs> but you'd be crazy in the Bill Simmons parlance. You take the meeting. You have a you have a meeting. You have a phone call about it. <laughs> That's right. I know, and I'm sure they did. I'm sure that Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman had a meeting, had multiple meetings. Uh, about those options. But yeah, to your point, usually when a team collapses like that, it's like, oh, the quarterback was injured or they got massive injuries or something. Like, no, like like he did get kind of injured, but he was still playing. This wasn't just a two-week or a three-week or a four-week stretch. We're talking about six or seven weeks. And again, don't listen to what the players say at the end of the season. They can say this isn't on series. I've told you, I've been in locker rooms where they're all supporting the coach. Watch yes. the games, to your point. You can tell by the way a team plays do they have confidence and trust and belief in what their coaches are telling them or no? And the obvious answer to that was no when you watch this football team on a weekly basis. So It's so funny because like, I, I think that the Eagles rightly have a reputation as a well-run organization, and that's true. But when things go bad for the Eagles, they go hilariously bad. Yeah. And, you know, we, we all remember like the exile of Howie Roseman and the triumphant return of Howie Roseman. Like, does that happen in many other franchises? Like this is this, like every, every franchise is strange in its own way. And I think it's like when you're winning, everything seems like it's going hunky dory. Like take the Patriots, for example, it's like the Patriots have basically two decades of uninterrupted dominance. And now it's like the Patriots don't spend any money. What's up with that? You know, like, <laughs> and it's, it's the same thing for the Eagles. Like when we're cruising and it's like, we have like franchise quarterback and all these things are working out great. Like, Howie's Walter White, everything he does is genius. He just can't keep getting away with it. And then we get into this part and we're just like, wait a second. Is this a completely dysfunctional organization with like a bunch of power hungry? Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's it, it, it's never a dull moment. Uh, but I, I, I will be very interested. I'll tell you what. I never really wanted this. I would kill for a hard knocks. Hmm. Yeah. I would kill to kind of get a little hide bit of... the good stuff, but yeah, you'd be, you know, we'd all be parsing out the little stuff. Ooh, look at, you know, how that guy's looking behind the scenes. Yeah. What's thing. the, yeah, what's the, what's the dog culture? What's the state of the dog culture, you know, yeah. come summer in Lehigh, you know? Yeah. Everybody yawning during, you know, Sirianni's giving a speech and everyone's yeah, Sirianni's showing the end of Rudy. <laughs> He's showing the, the beginning of Gladiator. Everybody's just like, all right, man, get a new DVD. It does feel like that. Like you said, the highs are high, but the lows are drama filled and there's palace intrigue uh, and there's all this stuff. It's not just a normal, hey, this team is not as good as it used to be. There's a million factors at play. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on what they say on Wednesday. Solak's going to join me Wednesday uh, after that and break down what they say. And maybe we'll talk about some of these offensive and defensive coordinator options. All right. That was I'm we're gonna have to bring you in a little mix you in a little more with because this, this was a nice fresh perspective uh on the Eagles. I loved it. Thank you to Chris Ryan. Uh thank you to Raheem Palmer, fun Sixers talk, fun Eagles talk. Thank you to Ace Producer Cliff Augustine. We will be back on Wednesday, Solak and I talking Eagles, cutting through all the spin, figuring out what's actually happening with this football team. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you then. 
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 